If you've been here the last three weeks, uh, we picked up the book of Exodus again here at the beginning of the year, and we're in the portion of it where uh, Moses, the appointed leader that God has chosen to go and rescue his children, the Israelites, from Egypt. They're the, the slave class of Egypt in this time in their history. Um, he's gone before Pharaoh six times already, and he said, Pharaoh, well, four times officially, twice he kind of didn't say anything, but, but six different times there's been these six manifestations of God's power. They're called the plagues of Egypt, uh, where God is basically showing out and showing up and making everybody know that he's God and everybody else isn't. And in these six instances, Moses has basically, you know, had the same message, let my people go so they can worship me, they can serve me in the wilderness. Pharaoh uh, has said no, partly because God has made it so, he has hardened his heart, and partly because Pharaoh's just a, a stubborn cuss, he's not gonna budge. Uh, so when people ask, who hardened Pharaoh's heart, was it Pharaoh or God, the answer is yes. Uh, and so uh, we've seen in these first six plagues uh, God's power on display. Turn to someone next to you, see if you can name, without looking, see if you can name all six of the plagues before we get going this morning. Everybody just turn next to you, so see if you can name as many as you can. First service, someone said Ebola, that's not one of them. And so what's the new one? Corona? The coronavirus? Is that what it is? I know him. Does anybody else know him? What was the first one? Yeah, the the Nile River turned into blood. Nice. Uh, um, uh, The second one, my favorite? Frogs. Come on. Our God has a great sense of humor. Let's cover the earth with frogs. That's great. Uh, The third one and the fourth one were both insects. One was probably gnats or mosquitoes. Uh, the, 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 the flies that came were probably these nasty dog flies, these biting insects. They just swarmed um, uh, Egypt at the time. Uh, in, in the fourth plague, the flies, though, uh, God started making a distinction. Remember the first three plagues? Israel and Egypt went through them. Uh, but for basically the rest of them, uh, Israel, except for the darkness, uh, Israel's going to be kept out of it. Uh, and even in the darkness, they were able to see. Anyway, um, uh, the fifth plague, livestock dies. Remember that? Right, uh, Israel's cows didn't. Uh, uh, and then last week we finished with the with the plague where they took the the dust or the ashes from the ovens of uh, of Egypt and they threw it in the air and then boils uh, appeared on the bodies of Pharaoh and his followers. Uh, it's been uh, pesky these these plagues up until now. Uh, they've gone hungry uh, over certain seven day periods when the uh, Nile turned to blood. They've gone. Uh, you know, through some difficulties as their livestock was taken from them. They've certainly had some physical, you know, uh, uh, discomfort as these boils overtook them. But God's going to ratchet it up now as we kind of head towards uh, the the 10th plague. Uh, It's going to get progressively worse uh, for for Egypt. Uh, And in each of these plagues, God is is sending a message. Let's, Let's see it revealed here as we start the 7th plague in Exodus 9:13, then the Lord said to Moses, "Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, <clears throat> the God of heaven, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself, Pharaoh, and on your heart is what the actual Hebrew says there, and, and on your servants and on your people, so that you may know." And, and, and here's God; he's, he's just telling us in, in bold type here. Here's why the plagues so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. We've been saying it this way for the last three weeks. There is only one true God, all others are false. Say that with me, everybody ready? There is only one true God, all others are false. 
God says that through Moses to Pharaoh here at the beginning of this next plague. There are none like me. I am superior. All others are inferior. He goes on and he says this in verse 15. He says, for, now, for by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. You're like, well, that's what you've been doing. Well, he goes on. Let me, let me clarify. He says, and you would have been cut off from the earth. Just so you know, Pharaoh, I have the power to have uh, make the, or to make this much worse than it's been. Anybody uh, in here a parent? Anybody ever dealt with your kid and you say to your kid, okay, your mom and I have talked about it. Uh, you're grounded for the next three days. And your kid goes, oh! Anybody ever gotten that from a kid? Three days? No phone for three days? I'm gonna die, right? And, and then you get to say to them, well, we considered that whole death thing, just so you know. That did cross the screen as we considered your uh, and, and, and you sh- anybody ever said this? You should be grateful that it's only three days, <sighs> right? <laughs> Can everybody understand that every day you and I wake up and God allows us, us unrighteous, rebellious, unrepentant uh, creations of his, every day that he gives us uh, our, our, our life and our breath and, and, and allows us to move, it is a grace undeserved he could cut us off at any moment, but because of his love and grace and mercy to us, he allows us in his patience to persist. And he waits for us, right? That's all God's saying. He's just, he's just making it clear. Hey, Pharaoh, I could have just snuffed you out, but I got bigger things to do. He goes on in verse 16, he says, uh, but for this purpose, I didn't snuff you out, for this purpose I raise you up to show you my power, and here's, here's the reason, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. We, we've said it this way, uh, the one true God wins against all our gods. God didn't wanna just in this period of history and with these people show them that their gods don't work. He wanted this to be recorded and to be remembered and to be told over and over again throughout history so that all peoples would know he's the one true God and all the other ones lose when they come up against him. Would it interest you to know that even in our Bibles, we have evidence of these uh, people groups that he spoke of that the whole world would know. These certain people groups who had no business uh, and weren't there, had no business knowing and weren't there at the time of the plagues, uh, reported their knowledge of the plagues to Israel upon meeting them. Uh, Skip forward a few books in the Bible to the book of Joshua. Joshua, uh, some 40 years after uh, uh, Israel has left Egypt and been wandering around in the wilderness, Joshua gets to lead them into their promised land. And they have victories, uh, great victories, at the walled cities of Jericho and Ai, and they just wipe these, these, um, these, these you know, enemies out. And one of their enemies, the Gibeonites, a tribe that lived within the Promised Land, said, you know what, we're probably not gonna win if we go up against Israel. They seem to be pretty powerful. So we're gonna suck up to them. It's, re- it's in Joshua 9, it's a total suck up. And they, they, uh, they say, we're gonna just appease them and hopefully they won't wipe us out. And if you keep reading, they, the Israelites don't. And that becomes a problem later. But this is how they appease Israelites or Israel, they come to Joshua and his leaders and they said, uh, they said to him, from a, a very distant country your servants have come, we the Gibeonites, uh, because of the name of the Lord your God. They use Yahweh, we, we've heard of Yahweh, for we have heard a report of him, and what? And all that he did 40, 50 years ago in Egypt, we, we, we've heard about him. We weren't there, and, and in this age where there's no Twitter, no internet, no you know, social media of any kind, um, we got the news. You guys are not to be trifled with. 
Fast forward a few more books in the Bible, and, and we're now to the age of the kings in the history of Israel. And this prophet Samuel is about to anoint the first one. His name's Saul. Uh, but before that happens, there's this little uh, ruckus between the, the Philistines. Heard of those guys? They had this really tall dude that one of the kings, David, took care of, Goliath. Anyway, uh, uh, but the Philistines were this constant adjutant to the people of Israel. And in one of their early battles, uh, the Ark of the Covenant comes out to the battle line. Indiana Jones? And, uh, and, and so the Ark of the Covenant comes out, and it's a symbol of God's presence. It's a, it's a, it's a, a boost to the morale of Israel. We're going to win this fight because God's here now, right? Now, the Philistines see the Ark of the Covenant go out, and they say in 1 Samuel 4, 8, they say, woe to us. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? They weren't quite clear on Israel's um, you know, system of worship. They, they thought there were many gods, like the ones we have, but there's just one true God. And they go on to say, uh, these are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of, what? Plague in the wilderness. God was famous. Here, here we are today, 2020, brain in Florida, thousands of years after the fact, talking about the plagues. God says, I'm doing this so that people will know that I'm God and all other gods are false before me. Uh, as we talk about the plagues, I hope you've been picking this up as we've been going along. A lot of times God allows really hard things to happen in life so that he can show out and show up and make himself known to people. Like think about the trials that you've gone through. Who's, anybody here been through a hard, hard time? Yeah, in those hard times. Have you ever, maybe you're a Christ follower already and those hard times come and you're like, really? What's this about? What did I do to deserve this? C- careful. <laughs> but you know, how, how is this helping? I don't understand. I don't know, understand how this is gonna make a difference in my life or anybody else's life. But then God moves forward in time and he does. He, he makes a huge difference in your life and shows you himself in ways you wouldn't have seen him otherwise. He, he makes a huge difference in the lives of those around you as they watch you walk through these things in faith. He, he makes a huge difference in this age where we're a couple clicks away from putting our entire lives out to the world. He makes a difference through our stories with people we'll never even meet, right? Some uh, 25 years ago, my, my little sister Erin found out that uh, she was uh, um, uh, sick with cancer. She had Hodgkin's disease. And so like many of you who have survived cancer, she went through her chemo and all the treatments. Uh, a couple years go by, she's driving home on a vacation with her husband Joe, uh, and uh, they stop in a, in a long line of traffic on I-74 headed back to Illinois, and the truck behind them did not see their car stopped and just drove up the back of, of their compact vehicle like smashing it and them inside. Anybody got that friend who has no business being alive? That's my sister. She should be dead. So we're like, wow, what's going on? Early marriage years, you know, all this trial and strife. Uh, Two years later, cancer comes back. She's got to go through a second round of chemo. She's told she'll probably not make it until she's 40. She's definitely uh, assured that she'll probably never have children. Well, I just did my niece's wedding uh, three weeks ago. Uh, Yeah, and... uh, her sister stood next to her as her maid of honor, and uh, my sister, who's uh, you know kind of uh, beating the odds, that's what our earthly friends would call it, uh, by grace is still with us and still giving praise to God, and her story has impacted uh, her family, my family, my personal life, and now I just told it to you, and I pray it's an encouragement to you, right? But this is what God does with the hurts. He doesn't waste them, all right? He makes much of them. And in the same way, he's doing that 
here in the story of the plagues. Verse 17. Uh, here in the seventh plague, God says through Moses to Pharaoh, you are still exalting yourself. <laughs> Interesting word choice there. Can you get off the whole worship of yourself? Can you get off the whole lifting yourself up above my people? Uh, verse 17 and 18, it'll show up on your screens there. You are still exalting yourself against my people and you will not let them go. Can you switch the slide? Is it up there? Oh, it's broken. Trust me, here's what it says. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been seen in Egypt from this day uh, that it was founded until now. And then a wrinkle occurs. Here, here's, here's what you got to know. Something happens in the story. If you're following along with me in your Bibles, here's what comes next. Something that hasn't occurred in the previous six plagues. God says this to Egypt and to Pharaoh through Moses. Now therefore, send and get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Now check this out. It tells us in verse 20 that uh, whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slave and his livestock into the houses, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. We have, uh, in this plague, been given something that hadn't occurred in the plagues before. There was a choice to be made. God basically says, hey, here's what's coming. By this time tomorrow, hail, big hail. Anybody, I, I, I lived in Texas for nine, year, nine years. I'd never seen hail, like the hailstorms in Dallas, Texas. Like they have an actual claim in, in Texas for hail damage for your cars and for your houses. Like, uh, and I'm sure they have it here, but like, on the regular, people's, you just walk up, to, it looked like a peanut, you know, like it just all dented on the hoods and stuff like that, and it's because they, they drove through a hail storm. Okay, so take whatever that is, whatever the worst golf size, uh, golf ball size or, or, you know, tennis ball size hail, take it and, and just ramp it up. I don't know. Uh, hail the size of uh, cars, maybe. It's going to fall from the sky, and it's going to land on people and on beasts, and it's going to kill them. It's going to wipe out the field. It's going to kill everybody. But then God says, but here, if you want to, you can be spared this. Just trust me and get everybody inside. And it says that some in Egypt, these are not God-fearers, but they'd seen enough of the plagues to be like, I think I'm going to pay attention. And they took all of their flocks and their slaves and all of their possessions and they brought them inside, and then some didn't. That's the ones who didn't were probably uh, trusting in some of the Egyptian gods uh, that they persisted in trusting in before. I don't know if their pictures are going to show up, but uh, there's this one goddess. Her name was Nut. Yeah, Nut. Uh, she was the god of the heavens or the skies, and so maybe they're going to trust in Nut. There, there was another uh, Egyptian god. Uh, the, the Egyptian god um, Shu, S-H-U, was in charge of the heavens above the clouds. Nut had below the clouds. Shu had above the clouds. And so maybe they trusted in Shu. Uh, oh, there's Shu. Hey, Shu. Uh, a Shu. Anyway, uh, but then uh, certainly they would trust, this was a more famous God. Maybe you had uh, you know, a friend named Seth. Uh, Seth was uh, the God of the storms. And uh, hey Seth, what's up? Um, maybe they trusted in him. Um, but some didn't. Some refused to trust in their old gods and they made a choice to believe in, by faith, to act on what the God of Israel had said. This brings us to a really important point about uh, our faith and, and what the Bible teaches. At times, God chooses to let us choose. At times, 
God chooses to let us choose. Now, I say at times because at times he doesn't. See the first six plagues. No choices there. This stuff's just coming. Deal with it, right? Uh, In fact, sometimes he chooses to bless or protect some and not bless and protect others. See plagues four, five, and six. Egypt, smashed. Israel, not, right? But that was God's choice. Israel didn't do anything that merited that or brought that about. It's just God choosing. You, you, you understand this. There's lots of things that happen in your life that are beyond your control. It's beyond you. Now, lots of things, though, in your life are given to you as a choice. You have the option to do what you will with your reactions to the things that you can't control. You have, um, it, it, when it comes to God's revealed intent for your life, you have the choice to obey or disobey. Some of you are thinking, well, you know, I can't decide, so I just won't do anything. That goes into disobey. Everybody gets that? But uh, here in this plague, and then certainly as we get to the last plague, the plague of the, that gives us the Passover and the choosing of, of you know, giving the sign of the sacrifice on your doorposts, God gave choices to those who are facing his plagues. Um, fast forward to the New Testament, uh, Paul kind of sums this all up in Galatians by calling it uh, uh, this way. He says, um, we will reap what we, yeah. So he goes to the farm and he says, listen, whatever seeds you throw down, that's coming up. It may take some time to germinate and grow and become, but, but whatever you choose to plant, that's your crop. You're going to reap what you sow. Uh, without going into a, man, this is just a huge, vast subject in theology, but um, this, this is basically this whole idea of free will. Anybody ever heard that man has been given free will? Yeah. Now, I don't fully understand it. I'll confess that because I believe that God's will and our will mingle and match perfectly so that he's never not in control, but he still gives us the choice to control. Are you with me? Maybe not. I'm not sure I am either. But here's, at least we can say this about free will. Uh, free will means that in much of life, God gives us humans the opportunity to make choices that genuinely affect our destiny. That's true. Uh, that's not what needs to be on the screen right now, but we are given the ability to affect our futures. We reap what we sow. So um, what that means is uh, God, when God created us, it tells us that he created us in his image. God is able to choose, therefore he has given us the ability to choose, and, and that's what actually uh, brought sin into the world in the garden. He, he set up the first choice. You can either eat of the tree or not eat of the tree. Adam and Eve chose to eat of the tree. Welcome. Here we are. The sin mess that we're in, right? All the product of the will of man being exercised in some way. Now, here's what I can say, tell you about free will. It, it doesn't mean that mankind can do anything that he chooses or pleases. We are governed by our nature. So here's what I mean. Physically speaking, it is my nature to be able to choose to walk from here to there. I can walk across the stage just fine. My brain's telling my legs to move. I made it. I'm here. Yay! But in my return trip, I cannot choose to fly back to where I was. Who wants that one? Anybody want that one? That'd be fun, right? To have the ability to fly, but apart from the aid of mechanics and technology, none of us is given that ability. I can't fly. You can't fly. Unless God changes his mind, ain't nobody going to fly. It's our nature not to. And so our free will is governed by our nature, not just in the physical and material realm, but also in the spiritual realm. Our free will cannot supersede or go beyond our spiritual nature. 
Has anybody read the Bible? What's the nature of man? We are lost, dead in our trespasses and sins. So here's what that means. If you're sitting here this morning, you're kind of kicking the tires on the whole God thing. Uh, you can't fix you. It's not in your nature. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's us. And so you can't say, well, I'm righteous now because I decided I'm righteous. No, you can't do that. Lots of people do. I get that from folks all the time as I share my faith with them. They're like, yeah, no, I, I know I've heard that. I grew up believing that, but I don't believe that. Now, if there is a God, I start. If there is a God, um, I think he's going to take me because I'm better than Frank. Everybody's better than Frank, right? I mean, come on. Just kidding, Frank. He's moving. I don't care. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but that's what we do. We compare ourselves to somebody else and we think, I have decided that I am righteous based on these reasons. And it's ludicrous that we think that we can somehow dictate to the God who made us how he's going to take us. But that's what we do. And it doesn't work. Because it's not in our nature to determine that. Our free will is limited. Because we are limited. There's so much here, I don't have time. But... uh, let me say this one other thing. I think it's been on your screens. God, when it comes to free will, God gives us the ability to choose, which is a good thing. We're not automatons. We're not robots. But with that ability to choose comes the responsibility to choose wisely, right? As our kids got older and they were starting to drive and leaving our house with our vehicles and going places where we're not, um, the last thing that Eleanor and I would say as they left the house was not have a nice time. I didn't care if they had a nice time. I don't care. <laughs> You're in high school. This probably isn't going to work out for you tonight, right? I mean, <laughs> it's, life's hard all over. Anyway, that sounds terrible. Anyway, uh, but I typically wouldn't say that, you know. I, I would say this. As they're leaving, as the door's shutting, make good choices. That's this parent's hope. When you're out of sight, when you're on your own, I, you know, I hope it's a good time for you, but even if it's a good time, as you're having a good time, my number one mandate and hope for you is that you'll make good choices because here's the deal, people. We get to choose, and it's on us. It's our responsibility by the grace of God as he leads us to choose him and to choose wisely. Here's the deal. If we don't choose him and we don't choose wisely, he'll be patient for a time, but ultimately our choices will determine our outcomes. We will reap what we sow. Your life and my life is the sum of our choices. And so what it comes down to, you leaving here today and going to your Super Bowl party, you have the choice to do that Super Bowl, that party well and wisely or to act the fool and dishonor potentially yourself and your God and your testimony. So as simple as that, go watch the game tonight and don't be dumb. Make good choices. But in all of life, in who you marry, in who you befriend, in where you go, in what you do, make wise, God-honoring choices by his grace according to his will. So my question to us, so we can go on with the rest, is this. Are you choosing wisely? 
Now, don't do the quick yes. Because here's what most of us do. Yeah, I'm doing... In these things, I am yielded to God. In all of these areas of life, I am honoring him and choosing wisely. These are great. And we, we say yes for these things, and then we're done. But I'm, I'm not talking about these things. I'm talking about this stuff. The things that you haven't submitted to God. The, the areas of your life, whether it's your anger and bitterness, or your, your, your lust and your lasciviousness, or your, um, your lies and your hypocrisy, right? In these things, what's keeping you from humbling yourself in these things and yielding these things and your choices in these areas to the one true God? Joshua speaks to Israel and he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a great way to start your day. As for me and my house, where it's up to me, we'll serve the Lord. I'm gonna choose well. Gonna honor him, seek him, no matter the cost. Now, the story goes on. I'm just gonna summarize for the sake of time, but um, Moses stretches out his hand, the hail comes, right? It just wrecks everything. Lots who had not trusted in the Lord God uh, lost everything that they had. Uh, it tells us in verse 26, though, that only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there wasn't any hail. No choices to be made there, again the profound and unbelievably gracious grace of God. But the Pharaoh sends and calls for Moses, verse 27, and, and, and he says to them, this time, it's so great, listen to this. Heard this before? All right, this time I have sinned. No other times have I ever sinned, but this time I, I'm, I'm wrong. I blew it, the Lord is in the right, I and my people are in the wrong. So here, Moses, do us a favor, go, verse 28, go plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I'll let you go, and then uh, you, will, you don't have to stay here any longer. I, I promise. At first glance, it appears that Pharaoh is, is choosing penitence here. But uh, later on, his actions, his choices, are going to reveal the true condition of his heart. Because there's a big difference. Can I just make everybody clear on this again? You probably knew this already, but let me hit you again. There's a huge difference between leaning and choosing. Lots of people lean towards God and never choose him. Lots of people talk a good game. I grew up in the church, right? I had Christianese down. I knew the language. I nailed the accent. I knew what I was supposed to say, when I was supposed to say it, so that everybody would have the impression of me that they needed to have. But that's just talk. The proof is in the pudding when we taste it, that's that whole saying. We always cut it down to proof in the pudding. But when, when we taste of your life, when we, when we go to the core of who we are, when we examine your choices and, and what's really at the root of them, then we know if your words ring true or not. There's so many decisions, aren't there? Eleanor and I uh, celebrated our 28th anniversary yesterday. Friday night we were... Uh, uh, driving along, and uh, she had eaten later in the day, and so she wasn't really hungry, so we were going to go out to eat, and she just said, Mark, you can just eat wherever you want. I was paralyzed. I didn't know. Because that's usually a discussion, right? Where would you like to eat? I don't know. Where you want to eat? Who said that? Anybody had that one? But it was just carte blanche, and I'm starting, I'm driving down 60, and I'm like, well, I could eat there, or I could eat there, or a little further down the road, I could eat there. And, and she'll tell you, like I said, I think we're going to eat here. And I've actually, I turned into a couple different restaurants, and I'm like, oh, there's too many people there. We can't eat there. And then I came back out, and I, 
I couldn't make a choice. She was getting frustrated. She was like, Mark, just pick somewhere. We ended up in a drive-thru. I had Asian food that I didn't really enjoy. <laughs> but, but, you know, choices come at a rapid rate. But I, even in that car ride, we're eating here. Oh, no, we're going to eat here. Lots of talk. But we ended up at the drive-thru. How many times that happened in your life? You came to church, and you're like, I'm doing this. Well, I'm changing this. I'm submitting this. I'm surrendering this. And then Monday came, and you ended up back at the drive-thru. Oh, that God would give us the grace and strength to choose and to choose wisely. See, Pharaoh's just playing. He doesn't want to pray to God to himself. He just asks Moses to pray for him. He doesn't want to really make any solid decisions. Look at Moses. Moses says this in verse 29. He says, as soon as I've gone out of the city, which is kind of, you know, baller, right? There's a huge hailstorm going on. I'm walking outside because I trust the God who sent the hail not to hit me with the hail. And I'm going to walk all the way outside the city gates, however far that is, while this storm is raging, and then I'm going to pray, and I'll stretch my hands, and, and, and the thunder will cease, uh, and, and, and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the God uh, or that the earth is the Lord's and his alone. But as for you, look at this, verse 30. But as for you and your servants, keep it. Keep all your claims, all your promises. He says, I don't, I don't believe you. I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. Boy who cried wolf, Right? Whatever, call me when you're serious. It goes on and it tells us that some of the, the, the grains that were in the fields were struck down and their crops were lost, but others, they would come up later and that's gonna play into the next plague, which I'll talk about here in a second. But can I just close out plague number seven? Anybody wanna guess what happens? It happens just like Moses says, the hail stops, what's Pharaoh do? Praise God, let the people go. So what he does? No. He hardens his heart, God hardens his heart, nothing changes. So the next plague comes. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them. God's purpose revealed again. Uh, and, and, and here's a, a side benefit that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. He says, I'm setting you up for, for bedtime stories for the rest of your life there, Moses. I mean, right next to Are You My Mother and Hop On Pop will be the story of the plagues. You're going to tell this story to your kids and their kids. And they're going to know that I'm the one true God. So Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh, verse 3, and they said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews. And this is interesting. Usually when he starts that, the next line is, let my people go so that they may serve me in the wilderness. He changes up the script here. This is what God says to you, Pharaoh. It's a question. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? you got to know that God asks that of each of us in these situations. How long, how long do I have to wait for you to get serious 
about aligning your life with me, humbling yourself before me. How long do I got to wait for that? Then he says, let my people go that they may serve me. He continues, he says, for if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I'm going to bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. That's a lot of locusts. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. These crops that didn't get lost because they hadn't popped up yet, probably a couple, two or three months after the hail has come. Uh, They've now uh, come into bloom and and they are available for the Egyptians to eat. They were the salvation of this hail-torn state. He says, well, I'm going to wipe those out with these locusts, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have ever seen from the day they came on the earth to this day. And then Moses drops his mic. Maybe it was a stick. I don't know, but he just walks out. And Pharaoh's left there alone. And Pharaoh has these other Egyptians around him. And in the beginning, they're all like, Hail Pharaoh! Go magicians and sorcerers. You can do the same tricks this guy does. But now they're kind of like, dude. They're duding the Pharaoh. Dude, seriously. How long are we going to keep doing this? How long shall this man be a snare to you? Let him go and let, 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 let him and the other men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Get him out of here. This isn't worth it anymore. Do you, do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Not being ruined. We're wrecked. I love that sometimes God sends other people into our lives. Uh, lots of times, not God fears. I mean, maybe these, you know, were among those who had rescued their flocks and slaves, you know, and got them out of the hailstorm. But, but probably a lot of these were just kind of like agents of God being like Pharaoh, knock it off. You ever had someone come up to work and say, I thought you were a Christian. Don't you go to that church as you're finishing telling that, you know, horridly dirty joke or, acting like the fool, right? Ever been rebuked by a non-Christian? Hope that hit you. <laughs> I've, I've been asked, I thought you were a pastor. <laughs> I was. So they had this conversation and it tells us in verse eight that, that Moses and Aaron were, were summoned by Pharaoh. They were brought back before him and, and, and Pharaoh says this to him, go serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? Does anybody notice that Pharaoh keeps kind of trying to broker a deal? Who's going? Just you guys? I mean, we'll let you guys go. You take the men. And, and this was customary in religious orders of the day. The men were the worshipers on behalf of the family. So you could take your fellas and you'd go worship. Just don't take everybody else. But here's what Moses says. No, no, no. When we go, we're taking our young and our old and our sons and our daughters, verse 9, our flocks and our herds. It's going to be a big, a big to-do. We need everybody. When we go, we're going. But Pharaoh says, ah, I'm on you. And your God be with you. If ever I let you and your little ones go, they'll be lining up hockey teams in a hot place, you know, before I ever, that's stupid. I'm not letting you go. Uh, I, I'm on, look, you have some evil purpose in mind. You're, you're trying to get everybody out of here, Scott Free. He says, no, you can go. And this is, this is Pharaoh bowing up. Pharaoh's not pleading with him to pray to God anymore. He's telling him, take it or leave it. Like it or lump it. You go, you take your men among you, you serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking, even if that's not what you're asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. This is what happened the first time that Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. Remember that? 
They threw the snake down. They said, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, who's your God? In fact, let me make your people make bricks without their, you know, us giving them straw. And, and then he tossed them out of the palace. We're back to that. Pharaoh's had it. This is my final offer. Take it or leave it. Uh, you and I might be tempted in this situation to be like, okay, seems like he's had enough, but we don't want to, you know, test ourselves here too much. Let's, let's just take what he's offering. I'll take the fellows out into the woods and we'll, we'll have a, a, a feast and worship and, and, and no. But Moses is like, isn't Moses great? Who remembers Moses the timid, right? I don't know, God, I don't know if we can do this. Moses is like, bug that, we're not doing that. Because Moses understands how important it is to refuse to compromise on what God has made clear. God told Moses, you're taking everybody. If we're going, we're all going. And so you're gonna get all these offers. Worship here in Egypt, that was one of the plagues, right? You can worship here. Take the men. And constantly, given these offers, Moses says, no, I'm going to do what God has told me to do. And here's where that plays into our life, and I'll let you go home. We live in a day and age where the church is being challenged, probably like um, maybe never before, but certainly not in, in our country ever before. Um, a, a, a country that was founded on Christian values has strayed from those. We are becoming, if we aren't already, post-Christian. We are, uh, as a society, becoming antagonistic, not just to theism and, and belief in God, but antagonistic to those who do believe in God. And here's the temptation for those of us who are Christians. Compromise. Let's just start kind of bending a little bit this way in what we believe in a little bit this way. We'll fit in. It'll work better. We can stop gathering in one place, uh, you know, and, and spurring each other on towards love and good deeds. Uh, we can, you know, and listen, you can watch online and stuff like that, especially if you live in faraway places. If this is your church and you're watching us right now, I'm so glad you're here. But a lot of the conveniences, a lot of the, 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 um, the, 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 the winds of change, they start shaping and reshaping how we do this Christ life. And these little compromises become greater compromises. You know what's happening more and more in the church these days? People leave churches, and this used to be what happened. You'd get mad at one place, you'd go to the next one, mess that one up, right? <laughs> but more and more these days, people are getting mad at their church and never going again. It's just, we're done. And I believe it's like what it says in Galatians. Uh, Paul, uh, writing to a church there that was in error, says, hey man, a little bit of leaven affects the whole lump of dough. He went to the baker's house, right? He went to the, uh, to the baker's oven and, and, and you make bread, you put yeast in it, it raises the loaf up and, and what becomes this, you know, starts as this little small ball of flour and ugh, turns into this big puffy yummy, you know, uh, uh, you know, larger yeast filled but it was just a little bit of yeast that started there. The yeast is this enzyme that just eats all the other pieces that are in the dough, and it just expands and affects the whole thing. And Paul says, listen, man, errors like that. It starts with one little compromise, one little toe in the door. How many of us have sent kids off to college, and they went to that one class, 
or someone challenged them in what they believed and they're like, I never really thought of that, toe in the door. And then off they go. And so here's what I'm telling you. I'm not telling you to circle the wagons and become this ultra-fundamentalist, short hair, no jeans, angry Baptist church like I grew up in. I'm not telling you that. Let's live in freedom. Let's live in, in, in worship God in spirit and truth. Let's, let's, let's have everything that he has. But let's never, in this relaxed age that we live in, compromise in the truth that we've been given by the one true God because one compromise will lead to greater compromise and will lead to the fall of the Christian and the end of the church. That's just how this works. Go to Europe. Go to the other places in the world where Christ was in play and is no longer a consideration. All right. Refuse. Refuse to compromise on what God has made clear. Can you stand and we'll be dismissed this morning? Some of you may need to talk about some of the compromises that have been going on in your life. I'll be in the corner. If you want to confess those, work through those, come and talk to me or talk to our folks in our prayer room. I'm going to end our service right now with this prayer. Will you pray with me? Hey, God, I'm standing in front of your people. You made everybody in here. Uh, they are unique creations of yours. You love them. Uh, your heart is for them. Uh, you have seen fit in your will to giving, us, uh, to giving all of us the ability to choose. However that works, we, we have choices. You've admonished us in your word as to how we are to choose and as to how we uh, can obey you. Uh, here's my simple prayer. In that regard, as we choose, may we choose wisely, understanding that the responsibility is ours for our choices. You, you, you'll be patient. Thank you for your patience. You're so patient with us in the things that we refuse to humble ourselves in. You're so patient with us. But eventually, those choices are going to um, um, become these harvests that we reap. We're going to face the consequences of the things we choose. So jar us this morning, even as I pray, with the things that need to change. Align us with your truth and take us, God, from where we've been living into this life that you have for us in obedience to you. Help us not to compromise, God. I'm grateful for Moses, uh, this uh, timid, frightened man in the beginning who became so sure of you and your power and your ability to overcome uh, that when uh, faced with the, the chief of the government he was a part of, uh, he wouldn't compromise. I pray that the same would be said of us as we go to our jobs and our schools tomorrow, uh, as we uh, face um, the inevitable... Um, people are going to come against us uh, people aren't going to agree with us uh, God help us in love uh, to stand firm and to hold on to truth and to not sway to the left or to the right keep us on your narrow path that leads to life God I pray in the name of your son the savior of our souls the giver of our lives I pray in the name of Jesus for your deliverance for your protection, for your provision. It's in his name that I ask these things. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you. Let's live for him as we go.